0: Let's welcome
1: Pastor Barry. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Catalyst. I'm glad you're here. Today we are starting a brand new series, a brand new speaking series. that's going to go for four weeks, and the title of the series is... True disciple, true disciple. You know, I think it's quite clear in this day and age that the body of Christ and families are under assault, under attack from every side. And you know, as a pastor and as our church staff, very concerned about that. About how we, as a church family, could fight back, can fight back and advance God and what he wants to do here on earth. So we spent a lot of time, several months, praying, discerning, discussing, and, there's, and we came up with several things, but one thing by far rose to the top as this is what we need to focus on, and that was discipleship discipleship, strengthening our church family in our faith, in our relationship with God, in the word, um, through life on life. And so that clearly came to the top and, top. and so this series, True Disciple. You know, I remember when I was a kid, really young, probably first or second grade, in our neighborhood, I, we used to ride our bikes, me and friends and we used to just ride our bikes all around. And I remember, this is first and second grade. I used to ride my bike by myself, or sometimes with friends, like three blocks away to this field. And it wasn't a big field, but it was a field, and it had these dirt trails, like a dirt oval, and there was like railroad tracks next door. And um, it, it was cool because, you know, after the rains in the spring, you'd go there, and there would be like polywogs all over, and and little frogs all over. But I remember in the summer, especially riding on those dirt trails, one thing you did not want to do was ride behind someone. (laughs) You don't want to be riding your bike on those dirt trails behind someone because you don't want to eat their dust, right? You don't want to get their dust all over you. It kind of reminded me of, you know, like horse racing, like jockeys, especially like when the track is muddy, They just go one time around the racetrack, right? And when they get off, when you see them after they've raced, especially the ones if they weren't in front, right? (laughs) Covered, caked in mud, right? Caked in mud. Because, right, we, we don't want someone else's dust or someone, the mud on us. But you know what? Having someone's dust on you isn't always a bad thing. In Jesus's day right? There would be young men who wanted to be prospective disciples. And so they would pursue different rabbis and ask them if they could follow them. And they had this saying, they had the saying, they said, you want to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that meant was You want to be able to walk so closely behind your rabbi that when they walked, the dust from their sandals would get all over you. Because as a disciple, you didn't want to just know what the rabbi knows. Your consuming passion was to be who the rabbi is. And so they wanted to be, so to speak, covered with the dust of the rabbi. When Jesus calls us, when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, the consuming passion, commitment, desire of those disciples was to be covered not by just a rabbi's dust, but by the dust of the ultimate rabbi, the rabbi of rabbis, to be covered in the dust to become just like Jesus just like Jesus you know that is the goal hands down that is the goal that is the purpose for Christians that is the single minded goal of Christians is to become like Jesus That's what God works all things for the good. Every bad thing, every trial, every challenge, every difficulty, every heartache. He wants to use all those things so that we might be shaped and become like Jesus. It's not about being happy. It's not about being comfortable. It's not about... Giving homage to God once a week. Coming to church or giving money or whatever. And then the rest of the week doing what you want to do. The goal of Christianity is to become like Jesus. Look at these verses here. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children. Be like your father be like your father Romans thirteen fourteen, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires 2nd Corinthians 318 so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord so that's the saying The veil is removed. You're looking in the mirror. And what do you see when you look in the mirror? You see reflected in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Because it's shining from you. Let's go on. It says, and the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him. That's the goal. That's God's desire for us. That's the God's heart for you that you would become like him. You become more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Wow. God's desire, God's design, God's purpose, what God has in mind for you, what he sees is you radiating, carrying the very glory of God, the majesty of God that he has shared with you. Today, I'm introducing a new rallying cry, a new battle cry, a new war cry for Catalyst, okay? So I'm going to be on this thing for a while, just like I was on identity, still on identity, okay? All right? Penn, still on identity. You know what, Penn, we started talking about identity, our identity in Christ, a couple years into it. She's saying, speed it up. No, no, no. But we were talking about identity in Christ, and then she came up to me, she was like, in a nice way, she's kind of like, can we move on to something else, right? And then something would happen, or she would hear something, or she would take the class again. She goes, Oh, okay, now I get it. I get it. How many times? Penny you to take it. You took the class six times? She took the class, the identity in class, be free class six times. That's great. That's great. Because what? What? I made you work for what? I made you work for two of them. Okay, okay. All right. So she has a record six times taking the class. Let's see who could beat that. Okay, no. But because knowing who you are in Christ, knowing how, who, how God sees you, knowing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in Christ, that you are holy and blameless, that you are a saint, that you are a child of God, that you are an heir, that you have a future that you will rule and reign with Christ. All of those things, that's the foundation for you being able to experience intimacy with God. Because, you know, God loves you, but if you don't think God likes you, you don't make close to Him. So many people don't believe that God likes them. If you don't believe God, if you don't believe someone likes you, do you think you would ever want to get close to them, in spite of what you might say? And so, we are still on identity. And we're still an identity, okay? But we have a new battle cry. We have a new cry. We're gonna be. On, I'm. Go, I'm gonna be on this, and it's BLC. BLC. BLC, which means be like Christ. Let's all stand up if you can. If you're able to, let's all stand up because this is our. Battle cry, right? Okay, I'm going to say one, two, three, and we're going to shout out B-L-C, okay? B-L-C, okay? One, two, three. B-L-C, come on, that's weak. That's weak. Come on, one, two, three. B-L-C, what does that mean? Be Be like, like one more time, Be be like Christ. Okay, you're going to get sick and tired of that. I, I, we're going to repeat this so that you're in your sleep and you're mumbling, BLC. B-L-C. When you're driving on the road, B-L-C, be like Christ. Okay, have a seat. Being like Christ, that's the hugest blessing you can experience. Is there anything better than being fully who you were made to be? I keep touting to the chosen. Some of you are watching. I know Blake. I was talking Blake Arakaki. Blake Arakaki. I you know he's a fan of the chosen now. Took him a while to start watching it, but Blake, fan of the chosen, right? He was just having me four o'clock today. Four o'clock today. Chosen season three. You know why The Chosen is so awesome? It's because you get to see how they portray Jesus. I love how they portray Jesus. That guy's awesome. My appreciation for Jesus has grown by just watching that show. Because like, When I watch the show, I think my spirit yells, yes, yes. Or when you see him in a situation, you've read it many times. I've read it many, many times in the Bible when I see a portrayal, I go, Yeah, that is how Jesus would respond with grace, with love, with truth, not backing down. But still, you know know his heart is for you. When you see that, it's like, that guy is super cool. I want to be close to him. I want his dust on me. I want to be covered in his dust because I want to be just like him. That's what God wants for you too. He wants you to be just like him. Now, to understand what it really means to be a disciple, to be like Christ, I think we need to understand what did it mean to the early Christians? What did mean a disciple mean to Peter, Andrew, James, and John? Well, look here, this is Matthew 4. This is their calling of Peter and Andrew. John and James, very similar to this. They're called right after. But Matthew 4, it says, One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people, And they left their nets at once and followed him. When Jesus said to them, when he looked in their eyes, and with the fullness of the heart of the Father, he looked in their eyes and he said, Peter, follow me. Andrew, follow me. When he said that to them, What did they hear? What did they understand that to mean? What was their interpretation of those words when he said it? What was their background? Well, it's really interesting because Jesus settled, actually settled in the Capernaum area, that's northern Galilee, and he went there to look for disciples, his first disciples. There were major metropolises. There was huge cities with universities around. He didn't go there to look for his disciples. He went to Capernaum. He went to this area that's kind of known as the evangelical triangle. If you look on this map, northern Galilee, it's the area of the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And they call it a triangle because it's made up between three cities. On the left, the, the west, that's Capernaum. On the right is Bethsaida, and north, the top of the triangle, that's um, Chorazin. Okay, so that made up this triangle. And within this triangle, there were these small generational communities, probably made up of about 6 to 10 families and extended families of about 100 people. And they lived in what's called insulas. Okay, insulas. So insula looked like this. And so it was very generational, six to 10 families huddled together around a courtyard, about a hundred people, right, in this, in this area. And they would be engaged in a common trade. So like, for example, the ones that live in Capernaum, a lot of them were near the Sea of Galilee, so they would be fishermen. Or you would have, you know, olive grove, you know, farmers or different people. But they would probably, the, most of the community would be engaged in, a, in the same trade. But this area, this golden triangle, it was known that the people were very, very devout Jews, very, very devout Jews and committed to following God and his ways and committed to raising their children to following God and his ways. And the heart of the community, the very heart of the community was the synagogue Okay, let's see a picture here of the synagogue. It was something like this. Synagogue, it was the heart of their community. And the heart of the synagogue and the heart of these people's lives was the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which would be in scrolls. The, probably the whole community would only have one copy, which would be in the synagogue. So it would be the Torah, the first five books of the old, what we call the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they were committed to the Torah and living out the Torah. So connected to the synagogue, there would be a school kind of overseen by the rabbis. There would be a school connected to the synagogue. And at the school, that's where the education of the children would take place. So it's kind of just like us, kind of just like our elementary school, So from the ages of like 5 to 12, they would go to the school that was connected to the synagogue that was taught by the rabbis. And boys and girls, they would learn to read and write, do math. But at the heart of the education of these children would be to know the Torah, to know God's ways. In fact, by the time they were 12 and ready to finish and graduate out of this school, which is called Beth Sefer, elementary school, Beth Sefer, by the time they were 12, ready really to graduate, probably most of them, if not all of them, had memorized the whole Torah. Memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Are you kidding me? Memorized Leviticus? I know a lot of people, they can't even read Leviticus. (laughs) They try to start, I'm going to read through the Bible. Genesis going good, Exodus good. Leviticus, bail out. Too boring. (laughs) Memorized. 12 years old. Props to Brett Hirata. I know he's taking the middle schoolers. They're called Forge, right? Taking the middle schoolers, and they're memorizing scripture. Props to Brett Hirata and Forge. 12 years old. Memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now at 12 years old, most of them would then go into their vocation. Most of the women would become homemakers. Most of the boys would go into like, you know, some trade. Like fishermen or farmers or whatever. But those kids, 12 year olds, that showed exceptional ability passion, commitment, they would be invited to go on to Beth Midrash, which would be like high school or secondary school. You know, I was was reading this, I go, this is, you know, Eastern, right? So I go, this is very Asian, because, you know, you look at korea japan right it's like they have that you you have to study really hard in elementary school you got to have tutors you got to go everything because you've got to pass the exams to be able to go on to higher education it was like this too only the best would go on only those committed they would go on and they would get to go and study deeper into the torah but then they would also get to study the tanakh which be the remaining books of what we would call the old testament they would intensely so from 12 to 15 those that made it into beth midrash would get to study and by the time they were 15 many of them had memorized the whole old testament memorized that's how important the word of god was to them not just a book not just good teaching, not just wisdom, it's the word of God for their lives. And at 15, from this elite group, only a few, only a few could go on and seek to be a Talmud. A disciple. Only the best of the best. You know, it reminded me of like Top Gun, right? Top Gun, the best of the best. Only the top of the top could go to Top Gun. Well, only the best, the ones with the highest ability, the greatest mental capacity, and the deepest level of commitment and passion, they could go on and seek to be a rabbi's talmid disciple. And so they would look and study all the different rabbis and then they would choose a rabbi to seek to be invited to follow. And they would approach the rabbi and say, could I follow you and after extensive, like, you know, evaluation, the rabbi may invite them just to observe. And he would observe them, and they would follow, and they would learn. And at some point, those privileged few, the rabbi, After much scrutiny, prayer would go to them and say, follow me. Those were the golden words to hear. Follow me. Because the rabbi would be inviting this person to be their disciple. And the goal the disciple, the Talmud, was not just to know what their rabbi knew, but it was to become just like the rabbi. And they would follow as much as they could and as closely as they could. They would follow the rab- their rabbi. And maybe after like 15 years of following he would say, go, make your own disciples now. So when Peter, Andrew, James, and John heard Jesus say, follow me. That was their background. That was what they grew up with. Now, when Jesus called them, what were they doing? What were they doing when Jesus called them? Fishing. They were fishing. So what does that mean? given this background that I have just shared with you. It means they didn't make it. It means when they got to 12, they didn't have the smarts, they didn't have the ability, they didn't have the commitment, they goofed around too much, whatever. They did not make it. They were rejected from further education. So they, Peter, Andrew... James and John had to go into their family's trade, which was fishing. They were lacking. They were just one of the crowd. They couldn't ask a rabbi if they could follow them because they were not worthy. Many people today feel like they're lacking when it comes to a relationship with God. You know, that's back to the—that's what one thing I love about the Chosen series. You know, just this morning I was thinking about the Chosen series, and I realized, you know, the Chosen series—it's not. It's about Jesus, but it's not really about Jesus in some ways. It's really about the disciples. Because they have so much time. You know, it's planned to go on for seven seasons. They are able to, and some of it's conjectured, some of it's, you know, what it possibly could be. But they're able to shape and go into what possibly could have been the background, the lives, the struggles, the sins, the shortcomings, the lacking of Jesus' followers and the impact Jesus made on them. Peter relying on himself, his struggles, his disappointments with trying to do things his own way. Matthew, estranged from his family and from his community, looked down upon by people because he was a dirty, traitorous tax collector. He was lonely day after day sitting in his tax booth with stares of disgust and hatred upon him. Mary in bondage to sin and victimized by sin, no sense of worth, haunted by her past. And Jesus... The rabbi of rabbis, the son of God, goes to them and looks them in the eye and says to them, follow, follow. Jesus says to them, is saying to them. You did not choose me. You didn't come to me and ask to be my follower. No. I chose you. Look at this verse, John 15, 16. Jesus talking to his disciples. You didn't choose me. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So many people in this world, so many of us are producing fruit that's going to be burned up, that's not going to last, that's not going to make one heck of a difference in eternity. But Jesus says, I chose you because I want you to produce things, to impact people, to make fruit that's going to last into eternity so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Peter was a broken man. He couldn't catch anything anymore, fishing. And Jesus gives him a huge catch, and he's on the shores of the lake, and he says, Master, go away from me. I don't deserve you. I am a sinful man. And at that moment, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, follow me. Matthew, isolated, despised, shamed, estranged in his tax booth. Jesus sees him in the tax booth. He looks him in the eye and he says, Matthew, or Levi, son of Alphaeus, you, follow me. Mary, a shattered, just torn up, hurt, broken prostitute who is possessed by demons. Jesus looks at her. He says, Mary. Where were you when Jesus called you? Follow me. Who were you when Jesus called you? Follow me. What had you done? What are the things in your life that you've shared with no one that you keep locked away, hidden in a dark closet? When Jesus says, I see that, I have forgiven that, follow me. When Jesus asks you to follow him, it means three things. One, it means he sees you. He fully knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. And he says, follow you. For this, I want to invite someone. Um, I just asked him this morning. I heard him share this story with me before, and then I just heard him sharing it this morning. So I said, I just felt like the Lord said, he needs to share this in, in in service today. So okay, so Robert Canico, come on up. <laughs> he just he was just sharing this morning a story of what I think is the father's heart, and it's the heart of Jesus when He calls us, when He called you, when He calls someone. Thanks. You're welcome.
0: Good morning. So yeah, Uncle Barry, um, we had a discussion this morning with some of the leaders and they asked us, um, you know, what's a word or um, a story that you can share about the Father's heart? And the words that I got was, um, draw near. And the story that I share with my group was so a while back, um, this was with my oldest daughter, Taya. Um, we had, it was like a long day and it was like late at night, around 10, 11 o'clock at night and Taya was, she was throwing like such a bad fit, like crying and screaming and yelling and, and Em was exhausted and I was exhausted and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna take her to the car. So it was like 11, Picked up Taya, and I was probably talking to her just like as I'm talking to you. Like, hey Taya, we're gonna go to the car. Gonna sit in there. When you stop crying, we'll go back inside and go to sleep. And then she was hitting me, she was crying. So all the way downstairs, brought her to the car, turn on the car, turn on some worship music. She's doing the same thing. She's screaming, crying, she's hitting me. For, like, a good 10, 15 minutes, I'm just, like, eyes closed, you know, lean my chair back, and at, like, the 15-minute mark, I started getting a little pissed off. (laughs) So I just turned up the volume so I could mute her a little (laughs) bit more. And then a few minutes go by, I'm just, like, closing my eyes, and I felt like God was, like, telling me, you need to pick up your daughter, like, you need to hold her. Um, in my mind, I'm like, absolutely not. Like, if I hold her, I'm going to squeeze her, like, <laughs> really hard. And, and so it, it took me probably a good another 10, 10, 15 minutes to actually, like, give in. And so I turned down the volume, and I told Taya, I said, hey, Taya, come here. Like, let me, let me dockle you, let me carry you. And she was like, no, she was hitting me. I'm like, "Tay, just come here. Let me just hold you. And so she came. I picked her up from the passenger seat, put her on my chest. And as soon as I held her, I just started crying, like, like instantly. And then she was looking at me, and she started to, like, smile. And she started wiping my tears away from my face. And then she said, are you okay, Daddy? I'm like, I'm okay." And then I just started apologizing to her, saying, I'm so sorry that I didn't hold you sooner. Daddy should have held you sooner. I promise you this will never happen again. If you get upset, I'll hold you sooner. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, you should not been left like that. (laughs) I should have held you sooner. And and then she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm okay. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, I'm okay. (laughs) Go back inside the house and she kisses me, you know, good night. But yeah, that's uh, my story of the father's heart.
1: reflects the heart of Jesus when he says to you, follow me. Jesus also doesn't just see you. He believes in you. When he looks at you, he sees who you were made to be in all your glory. You know, there's a guy I've been reaching out to. It's, I'm, I'll just make it. Sh- try to make it short. I just ran into him in a parking lot. and this, I, don't give you, I I just felt like I, I knew it was a God thing. So I just started talking to him, and then I go, hmm, there's something about this guy. I'll just call him Jay. And then I left, and it was kind of in a shopping center near my house, and then I saw him there again, and we started talking, and we started developing a relationship. He's like young 30s, and just making some poor choices in life and kind of lost, struggling. He was in school, but struggling, struggling with his family. And um, we've just been interacting. And the biggest thing, I think, for me is just trying to instruct him, trying to encourage him, trying to guide him. But the thing he keeps telling me is, you believe in me. My family doesn't believe in me. You believe in me. And it's, it's not easy. It's just kind of, sometimes he calls all kinds of hours and different things, and a lot of times I don't even pick up the phone. I just look, I go, I, I don't feel like I want to talk to him right now, but it's, I try to use some discernment, and we get together sometimes, and we talk, and I've been seeing him making strides. And I go, man, there's so many people out there they don't think has have anyone in their life who believes in them. When Jesus says follow me, it's because he believes in you. And when Jesus says follows me, he equips you. You know when you go shopping for a car, there's like basic model, right? Then they have limited edition they have sports model. They have all these models. But then there's the, right, the <laughs> ultimate, fully equipped, all the bells and whistles. When Jesus calls you, he doesn't leave you alone. He fully equips you with all the bells and whistles. He says, you are not covered in dust. You are covered in my blood. No condemnation completely forgiven your sin nature has been crucified you are made alive with christ you are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places you are given spiritual gifts you're given my very own spirit to live not just with you but in you he gives you the mind of christ his very own mind he gives you his heart he gives you a complete access to the father anytime you want and he gives you the full measure of his love. He gives you and fully equips you with everything you need to be LC, be LC. Be like Christ. He gives you everything you need to be like Christ. Everything. You have it all. It just takes one thing from you. Choose. To say yes. Choose to submit our will to him. And partner with him. It's a partnership. Holy Spirit and our spirit united. One. Together. And that's where he wants you to live from. Partnership. It's just saying Yes, and choosing him every day. There's just one application for this message for today. And the one application is this. Tomorrow, start and join with all of us as we do the Bible reading plan. That's it. Twelve-year-olds memorizing the whole first five books of the bible 15 year olds having memorized the whole old testament can you read one verse a day (laughs) yes but you have to submit and say yes i will choose to do so today i'm going to have worship team come up and today, I've pre- prepared a special lab time, because I know you guys love lab times. <laughs> I've prepared a special lab time. And in, in these bowls up here, hey, who, who can guess what's in these bowls? What? Oh, you're in, it's dust. It's dust. OK, just okay, just because I know some of you are a little germaphobic or whatever, I did not pick up this dust or dirt from my backyard, right? This is Mediterranean clay powder, okay? And so, I actually got, and you could, you actually, it's, what it's for is for people, probably mostly women, to make, like, facial mud masks, right? So, it's good. It's good dust, (laughs) right? Because it's the dust of Jesus, right? (laughs) Symbolically. Symbolically represents the dust of Jesus. But during the worship time, what I'm going to ask you to do, I, because I believe in, we need to, like, consciously make commitments. There's points in our life where we need to con- consciously make a choice to submit our will and say, Jesus, I want to continue following you. I want, Jesus, I want your dust all over me. Because I want to B-L-C. Be just like Christ. And so during the worship time, I just invite you, if you're a believer, just to make a recommitment to Christ and just come up and just take a little dust. you could Put it on you. Put it on you. However you want to do it. And you're just saying, Jesus, I recommit to you. I want to follow you. I submit my will to you because I want to be just like you. All right? So, when you come for a commitment, if you've never received Christ yet, this is your lucky day because you can make that commitment to follow Jesus to receive him into your life and if you want to do that before you go up and get the dust you could come up to pastor ross come up to me come up to rick come up to ruth come up to dale come up to any one of us sitting in the front and we'll help lead you to receive christ all right but this is just time for you and and jesus is saying again to you follow follow me will you continue And will you commit wholeheartedly to follow me? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for those two words that you have spoken to us that have so much meaning. When you have said to us, follow me. Lord, help to impress upon us what a blessing, what a privilege, what a calling it is to be asked to follow you by the King of Kings, by the Rabbi of Rabbis, by our Lord and Savior, by you who are God Almighty. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless each one as they just commit themselves to following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So anytime you're into worship, if you want to come on up. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything, and be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus!